Welcome to the Bits Business Podcast. Bits Business Podcast. Where it's all about studying the impact of technology on business so you can be a better investor. Now, now your host from Silicon Valley in California, Hari Ramachandra. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bits Business Podcast. My name is Hari Ramachandra. I interview entrepreneurs, investors, and engineers from around the world so that we can all learn from them, expand our minds, and benefit from their experience. Today, I'm joined by Ian Bellina. He is the founder and CEO of Peer Hustle, a mobile on-demand freelancer marketplace for the sharing economy, often called the Uber for freelancers. Ian is an avid entrepreneur and currently owns and manages three other businesses. These include Fusion Video Producers, a video production company that has worked with notable figures such as Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi. Ian's other business involves an international battery brand and short-term real estate rentals. During weekdays, when he is not hustling, Ian is a technology evangelist at IBM Analytics. Ian, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. You know, the, the pleasure is all mine. Awesome, Ian. Um, so, Ian, I just gave a brief uh, background about you to my audience, but we would love to know more about your story. Can you share how you came to U.S. as an eight-year-old immigrant and how did you end up as an entrepreneur? Right, yeah. So we'll have to go all the way back to Africa. So I was born in Kampala, Uganda. Mm-hmm. It's in East Africa, right next to Tanzania and Kenya. And when I was eight years old, my dad moved the entire family to America to pursue his doctorate in uh, civil engineering. So he moved the entire family. We came here as little kids. It was a huge culture shock, you know, just being in America. We'd seen it in the, in the movies, you know, so some things were like the movies, some things weren't quite like the movies. So just being here was a huge uh, ad- way for us to, uh, to adapt to a different, life, different way of life. So being here when I was eight years old, I was in fourth grade. And at that point in time, I quickly realized that I viewed the world differently. I had this mindset of viewing systems and finding flaws in systems and taking advantage of those flaws. Right? So I basically had that hacker mentality at a very young age or as I, as I like to call it, a hustler mentality. So, right, so by that age, I already knew that I was a hustler, I was a hacker. I had a different way of viewing the world and finding ways to, to basically profit or make, take advantage of, right? So I quickly got, became an entrepreneur just based off of that. So my mom was an entrepreneur. So back in Africa, she, she had her own, her own store. So she would sell clothes, she would come to America, England, Europe, buy items here, go back to Africa and sell them there for profit. Wow. So I kind of, in a way kind of took that from her. So in a way, I feel like I kind of had, had that in my blood, you know. <laughs> so I came here to America, quickly got into technology because I love playing video games. And I, so going, going back to that mentality of a hacker or a hustler, I, I told myself, how are these games made? So I wanted to kind of tear them apart and figure out how they actually made so by the time I was 12 years old, I went to my public library, got books on pro- game programming, and taught myself how to program. So my first languages were HTML. Uh, I think QBasic back then was the, was the 
very terminal programming language. So I taught myself how to make websites, and that became my first hustle or my first job or entrepreneurial business. So I began making websites for my family and friends. You know, so every time we had family functions, my parents would, would always shout, hey, my kid knows how to make websites, you know, come talk to him, come talk to him. <laughs> so in a way, they were the first ones to go out there and promote and put the word out there. And my first client was actually my uncle. And he had, he had uh, four schools in, uh, so this was back in uh, Maryland. So he had four schools there, four preschools, and he wanted to build websites for them. So as opposed to hiring a big, fancy, expensive web design firm, he, he, he kind of figured, why not just pay my nephew to build that website for me at a cheaper price? You know, so for me, I was 12 years old, so it, it didn't really bother me since it was just money, right? Mm-hmm. So from there on, I just kind of began making websites for people. I made web- websites for my, my high school, moved on from there all the way to college. I was making websites. So even to, even to this very day, I'm still making uh, websites. So I actually made that website from, uh, for Peer Hustle and all these other companies I have. But anyway, that's kind of going too far ahead. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved to America I went to high school, and right away in high school, just from reading, because I was very into books, I loved reading books, so from there I quickly followed the paths of other tech titans that I looked up to. So I read, I read books on Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Michael Dell. Michael Dell was very inspirational to me because he was at a University of Texas, just basically a high school kid, right? Like, I think he was like one year from high school, so forth in his dorm room or in his apartment he founded dell by just building computers right yeah he and was yeah. a hustler too like you yeah yeah so he was a, he was like my number one inspiration so just being able to be in his basement or in his dorm start a worldwide company just from computers and his knowledge of computers really inspired me to a point where i told myself i want to be like those tech titans someday i want to have a tech business i want to be a tech entrepreneur Mm-hmm. So I figured if I want to do that, I have to have that expertise. So when I was in ninth grade, I, I quickly chose that I wanted to major in computer engineering in college. So but when, I, when I was in ninth grade, I already had my major picked out. So I kind of mm-hmm. followed that path. So all, the, all throughout high school, I would take uh, computer science classes, uh, hardware classes, software classes. Went to college at uh, GW, George Washington in D.C. So I went there for my bachelor's and my, my master's, got that in uh, computer engineering. And from there on out, I just kind of followed that path. So while I was in school, I was, I was in, I think it was probably my sophomore year, when we were there in computer lab with my best friend of mine, Asad, just sitting, sitting there talking. And we're talking about business and being an entrepreneur. And I was talking a lot of just hot air, basically, right? <laughs> and he was like, you know what? You talk so much, but what have you really done, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know what? Why don't we actually do a startup like me and you right now mm-hmm. so he, he kind of called me on my bluff and he's like you know what i've read all, the, all these books let me actually go out and actually implement all these ideas i've been reading up on so at my first ever startup was Luxima, which is a which was a multilingual social dictionary so it was basically urban dictionary but with real words and it was visual so mm-hmm. in, the, in the same manner so this was back back then during the web 2.0 craze where everything was about user-generated content. So the whole idea was people would, would add definitions, and then you could vote them up in the same way, like on Dig or Reddit, 
and find the best definition for every single word in any language, right? So the whole idea was we wanted to be not, not just the Webster for English, mm-hmm. but for multiple languages, and everything was social. So when you pull up a definition, you would have the picture, the videos, the music mm-hmm. that, go, that, that goes with it, just under that definition for every single word out there. And That's the whole cool. premise, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a very cool idea. The whole mm-hmm. premise was to, to build this big data repository of just linguistics and languages and data to eventually reach a point where we could potentially mine that and then kind of do some artificial intelligence and do some voice translation, stuff like that. But uh, that ended up kind of fizzling out. So the idea lasted uh, probably three years or so. We launched it my junior year. So to kind of back forward, uh, or, or, yeah, to, to go back. So back then, Ruby on Rails was a new technology. Mm-hmm. So I went to the library, got some books on that, told myself Ruby on Rails, built the first prototype during my summertime since I was out of school, and we launched and in our first month, we had 25,000 hits because this was a web app. Mm-hmm. So, so everything was going great. However, we didn't really plan after the launch. So after the first month, things kind of started, we got to fizzle out. Mm-hmm. So from there, we were like, okay, you know what? Let's go out there, kind of pitch the idea, talk to investors. So we went, went to and applied to our school's business competition. We were, made, it, made, it, made it to the final round, went in a, and uh, pitched the idea at DC Entrepreneur Week. Which we had a chance to speak to to venture capitalist VCs throughout DC, Virginia, and they all loved our idea. I mean, so I recall specifically there was this one VC. He told us so this was actually it was a panel of judges, and they all told us that we had the best idea in the, in the entire competition, right? Mm-hmm. Yet they didn't pick us for the final round, and it just just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, how how can you tell us we have the best idea? Yet not pick us to even qualify for the final round, and they told us point blank that they didn't think it was feasible. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they felt like it was this pie in the sky idea. Now, even though I was a computer engineer and I was trying to break this down to them technically, they still didn't really believe it because they were basically business people and they didn't really understand the technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So that really frustrated me to a point where I kind of was, I was like, you know what? Forget these investors. I'm just going to figure this out my way. Right, so I was very, very stubborn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you so, aware? Were you aware of uh, Silicon Valley uh, uh, at the time? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I was aware, but I couldn't really go there because I was a college student in DC, mm-hmm. right? So just kind of based on my geography, DC w- was more conservative and less, as opposed to the Silicon Valley VCs out there. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I think like two years later, Google comes up with their own app mm-hmm. called. Google Translate basically does the, the same thing one on one we mm-hmm. were planning to do, right? Voice mm-hmm. translation. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so the idea was feasible. It just, I just didn't, didn't really believe that two college kids could could achieve that idea. Because so from there, from there, we kind of downscaled the idea from being this uh, this social dictionary plus this like artificial intelligence voice translation stuff to just being a. So I went to grad school and my co-founder Assad went to to medical school, mm-hmm. so the idea kind of fizzled out. So we just brought the idea back down to earth and just made a mobile app for the iPhone where mm-hmm. it was just basically just a visual dictionary. But also I, was, I ended up getting so busy with grad school that things kind of fizzled out and I kind of moved on to the next idea. Got it. So when you were in uh, George Washington University, um, yes. you shared stage with Michelle Obama. Tell us about that. How was the experience and what was the context? Uh, yeah, so it's so pretty interesting. So 
throughout uh so going back to to high school I was very shy and, and not really talkative mm-hmm. so that was something I worked on during college I took public speaking classes I went to Toastmasters um, just went out there and kind of tried to overcome my shyness and it came to a point where I felt like when during my last month of graduation they in, in undergrad they asked for for speakers and I felt like being a presenter would be a way for me to kind of cap or finalize me conquering my shyness mm-hmm. right so I went and and uh, there was a, kind of a competition or a trial, a test run, where we had to go out there, write a speech, and present to a panel of judges. And once again, kind of like following throughout my, my, my story, so to speak, the judges, they thought I had the best speech ever, right? They were just awesome. blown away, mm-hmm. right? Because I just kind of, I felt like I knocked it outside the park, so to speak. However, they didn't like the content of what I was talking about, right? So I was challenging people to fight their fears and that after graduating school when they move forward with their lives and their careers things aren't going to be easy they have to, they'll be faced with lots of challenges lots of uh, tribulations and things like that and the school wanted a speech that was kind of warm and fuzzy right <laughs> <laughs> so so they didn't really like that right mm-hmm. so me being very stubborn and uh, rebellious even though they rejected me, I knew that my speech was better than everybody there. Mm-hmm. So I filmed my speech on YouTube, and I put it on Facebook and YouTube, mm-hmm. right? So fast forward a week later, I get an email back from the panel judges saying that some that even though they can't have me as a presenter, they've somehow miraculously opened up a magical spot for me mm-hmm. to 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 present a, I guess the honorary degree. Mm-hmm. To the at that point in time it was Clark, the founder of Clark Construction. Mm-hmm. So he's an investor in uh, GW and other colleges like uh, University of Maryland. He's given them given a bunch of money to them. So I basically brought him up on stage and had a chance to be up on stage and talk. Right. So mm-hmm. they kind of figured a way to kind of put me up on stage just as a way to kind of satisfy me, right? Because they saw, oh, this guy is kind of, he's a loose cannon, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I had a chance to be there with Michelle Obama. I was backstage with her because she was, she was our speaker for, for, for graduation. So I had a chance to speak with her briefly for like 30 seconds, you know. Uh, we, we, we took some pictures with her mm-hmm. and it was just really cool. I was just really blown away by watching her on stage because she was talking for, I think, 20 to 30 minutes and I didn't see any notes anywhere. Wow. So, so either she memorized her speech, which was a long, really long speech, mm-hmm. or she had some, some kind of uh, teleprompter somewhere where I can't mm-hmm. see or something, but she was just a great orator. So just being very up close with her and just seeing how she presented and spoke really uh, inspired me. Yeah, this, this is an amazing story. The reason I wanted to uh, share this with my audience is that um, I wanted to kind of you know, give a full picture of your personality um, at core, you're a hustler, you're an entrepreneur. And in every aspect of life, I can see how you have used these instincts and your talent to get what you want. So uh, thank you, Ian, <laughs> for sharing your personal story with all of us. I hope uh, all of my audience will benefit from that. So, um, Ian, as we were talking just before the show... Um, many of my subscribers and listeners are entrepreneurs, investors, and engineers. And we love analyzing business models, studying business models. So um, let's uh, dive into uh, your, your 
present uh, hustle, your uh, right. peer hustle, your company. So why don't you tell us about uh, peer hustle? How did you first uh, realize that there is a need for a product like this? Right. So peer hustle came about from me taking my experiences from Luxemo and also wanting to go out there and start a new startup, new company. Now with Luxemo, I was essentially a solution trying to find a problem. Right. So that didn't didn't really work out that well. So with Peer Hustle, I kind of sat down and said, let me find problems I personally have in my daily life and my weekly life. Right. And try to solve them. Now, one of the problems I had was I'm a freelancer. Right. So I have a full time job with an IT company, IBM, doing all that stuff. But I still freelance. I freelanced as a software developer. I freelanced as a videographer. I have a video production company. And throughout, I've always had these issues of trying to hire other freelancers or trying to scale up without having to hire full-time people, right? So, for example, with my video company, if a client calls me and they want me to film a shoot, for example, right, and it has to be very elaborate, very fancy, I have to get actors, actresses, models, makeup artists, um, second shooters for film, for photographers, right? Mm-hmm. All these are other people. And being a freelancer, I don't have a full-time staff, right, because it's too expensive. Yeah. So usually it's, it comes to me just posting on Facebook or trying to tap my network and trying to find other people who are available at that point in time to come and assist with a shoot, right? And it, it's such a hassle to do that. So I, I told myself, let me build a solution where I can quickly find other freelancers and hire them for jobs. So in a way, it's kind of peer-to-peer freelancing, right? So let's say I'm a videographer. I can post a job and say, hey, I have a shoot coming up and I have to get two other vide- videographers and a and uh, somebody who does lighting, somebody who does sound, somebody who does makeup, right? Get all these people within minutes, within a day. So that's mm-hmm. where the idea of Peer Hustle came about, was being able to, to tap, and almost in the same manner as as uh, Uber, right? Quickly mm-hmm. get it right. With Peer Hustle, quickly find other freelancers to work with. So that's where the idea came about. That's awesome. And many of uh, our listeners who are entrepreneurs can totally relate to you. Uh, they, f- they find themselves all the time looking for talent but they can't support a full-time position most of the time right and uh, many of them uh, kind of you know resort to uh, sites like uh, elans.com or upwork.com i've used all those sites yeah so how how is that different from peer hustle what's what's your uh, right uh, what's your differentiator so peer hustle is different in the sense that we're focused on local geography so it's focused on your location. So similar to apps like uh, Uber, where it's, it's in your location or Tinder, right? So if I want to, 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 so with Peer Hustle, you search for a skill set, and it shows you other freelancers who have that skill set in your local geography. So for example, if I have a video shoot coming up and I want to hire a second videographer and photographer, I just simply search for them, and it will show me other freelancers in my local area, and I can hire them. So I can either hire them for in-person or maybe even just remote work, maybe I want to hire somebody to edit my photos or video, right? So there's other sites like Elan. So Upwork, the whole premise is they're global, right? They're making the entire world flat, which is great. However, it's not really great for pricing, right? So for me as a videographer, I can't really edit videos, right? With, or compete with people abroad who are working pennies on the dollar, right? So with Peer Hustle, just in its pure nature, you're only competing with people in your local geography. So prices are more reasonable. So right. is it fair to say that um, 
if I'm looking for a programmer, I would probably still go to, say, Elance or Upwork. But if I'm looking for a freelancer who has to be physically present to do the work, let's say somebody I want to shoot a documentary with, right, a videographer, exactly. yeah. yes, I would use yes. Peer so, so. We, Yeah, so we cater mainly to local services, local freelancers. So right now we have over 1,000 on-demand freelancers, and most of them are in the creative space. So they're either writers or photographers. And right now our biggest markets are D.C. and L.A., so LA has lots of freelancers because LA is Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody there's a freelancer. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So uh, you already kind of gave us a clue. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you this question: Like, what are your hot markets? Which cities are you available today, and uh, where do you see the maximum traction for your product? Right. So right now we're available in America in all fifty states. Like I mentioned, biggest markets are in DC and LA, and then we're working on version two, which is going to be global. Mm-hmm. So we'll open Peer Hustle up to the entire world. So anybody out there can use Peer Hustle as a mobile platform to either, one, hire other freelancers, mm-hmm. or, be, or two, make money as a freelancer. So I have a, having a side hustle. Awesome. So what kind of, so you talk who are on your platform uh, who can be used uh, or who, can, who are available to provide their services. So what is a typical customer uh, on Peer Hustle who's going to pro- post projects? What kind of people do you see using Peer Hustle to get their stuff done? Yeah, so like going back to our main premise, other freelancers, right? So, for example, let's say it's a photographer or a writer, or let's say it's a client or an entrepreneur who wants to have somebody build them a website or wants somebody to write something for them, like maybe a book or like a sales copy, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's other entrepreneurs or hustlers hiring other entrepreneurs or hustlers. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's kind of an ecosystem by itself. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Awesome. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, Ian, how did you go from a guy in the basement dreaming up and then actually validating that idea and then starting Peer Hustle? Like, did you just start working on it or did you do some market research what what was the process yes yes so i followed uh the lean canvas model i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but uh lean canvas business canvas so it's basically the anti-business plan Mm -hmm. model right so (laughs) as opposed to doing the long business plan you just just it's this uh this chart and just kind of fill those things out so I, i did that to kind of make sure i kind of knew the business behind my idea and how everything worked Then I also did some market testing by just simply getting a uh, a landing page and set, and putting the idea in in a one in basically one or two 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 lines saying this is Peer Hustle we're a mobile on demand jobs marketplace for freelancers mm-hmm. sign up here put your email here if you if you have any interest right coming soon that was it and I put that on Craigslist and within the I put that like I think it was for about a month or so and in the first month. We had over 150 people sign up just as people who were interested. This was just in D.C., just mm-hmm. D.C. alone, right? So they signed up saying, hey, we like the idea. I want to, to know more when it comes out. So that gave me more confidence to say, okay, there's some interest with this idea. Let me start doing something with it. So from that interest, I took that and began doing designs. So I built some mock-ups, hired a designer, had them uh, uh, Finished the designs, emailed the designs to my uh, to my email list, asking for feedback. Mm-hmm. 
so that's kind of how, how the, the whole idea went about. Then over time, I hired a developer, began developing. Then we had testers to go through it. Then we launched. So I got the idea last year in April 2015, and we launched in October 2015. Awesome. So, Ian, you said you're a programmer. I mean, you have been hacking uh, most of your uh, adult life. Uh-huh. But I'm very interested to know why did you decide not to code? And you're not alone. I know why, but I wanted right. you to share that with my audience. Right. Okay, yeah. So the first reason was I wanted to focus on the business. So being coding I wouldn't really give me time to focus on everything else from the idea, the marketing, talking to people. Just So as a way to outsource it, it was just me getting more time, right? So getting more time to focus on other things in the business. The second thing was I know that I wasn't the best programmer, right? I mean, I'm, I'm decent, but I, I came to a point where I've, I've fully come to to accept it, right? That I'm mm-hmm. not a programming guru or genius, right? So I'd rather hire somebody else who's much better than me to, to program or design it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the second reason. The third reason was just as a way just to kind of have some security, right? Since I have a full-time job, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes if you build, build something while we're working with a company, there's some uh, issues in terms of uh, patents and things like that. Yeah. So by having a third party build the app, I'm not really tied into that whole that that whole mess thank you yeah i think that was a that those are you know, some of the reasons that many entrepreneurs don't code even though uh, they're programmers and thank you for sharing your process uh, uh uh-huh. with my audience so uh yeah and we it's obvious that your platform has a compelling use case and value proposition uh, however, uh, as I said, we are very curious in understanding the business model. So right. tell us about your uh, uh, business model. How do you make money? Okay, yeah. So Peer Hustle makes money when our freelancers make money. So we take 10% cut on every job transaction. So, if, for example, if I hire you for a job mm-hmm. and I pay you $100, right? So Peer Hustle takes 5% from both both parties, right? So five percent from the hundred so they would they, charge me 105 dollars mm-hmm. then from you we would take the hundred dollars you owed and give you 95 so it's a way to kind of divide things up now we, we like that model because it's free for you to start and use pure hustle mm-hmm. so what we're trying to fight against is other freelancing platforms out there that force you to buy credits to to apply for jobs right mm-hmm. so as a freelancer i just hated that whole model right so you you, you, you spend a whole bunch of money buying credits, you apply for the jobs, but you, you, the jobs are not there, mm-hmm. right? So it's just a waste of time, waste of money. So I wanted to give people the ability to, to start for free. Got it. So essentially, it's more like how Uber does, right? Like Uber basically right. takes a cut uh, of every transaction. So that's a kind of a proven business model. However, um, I would also like to explore what are some of the risks in your business model? Uh, stuff like, you know, what if if uh, people start transacting outside your platform after the first interaction? Or- right. That's, yeah, that's definitely a risk that uh, we've uh, definitely thought about heavily. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, so it's one of those things that we feel like. So, I mean, right now in the first version, people can't really advertise outside. Like, you can't really put your website or your phone number. So mm-hmm. we have built-in communication. So we're trying to build one unified platform. So we have built-in 
video chat, built-in messaging, built-in phone calls. So it's kind of like a built-in Skype, right? So if you would like to communicate with a freelancer, everything can be done inside the app. Mm-hmm. But however, we also feel like eventually that's something we can't really prevent as much. I mean, sure, in the, in the, like, for example, we plan on, plan on not letting people kind of send the phone number inside the chat, right? Saying, hey, let's talk offline. Mm-hmm. Not, no, not, not only for business, but also just for security, right? Because with mm-hmm. Pair Hustle, we have built-in escrow payments. Mm-hmm. So if you go off the site, you're not really protected in, in Pair Hustle, right? You're kind of in the wild, wild west, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is kind of what happens with people on, on our Craigslist, for example, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. one thing of how we, we plan to solve that. But in the future, we feel like if we build a platform where we bring lots and lots of value for people, mm-hmm. maybe... You, Eventually, we can just have them advertise whatever they like and then just kind of charge them a monthly fee, kind of like LinkedIn or just basically the, the SaaS model to have a premium profile mm-hmm. as a way to kind of bring in more leads, right? So it doesn't matter how many leads you take offline, you're still a pre- premium member, right? Mm-hmm. And you get bringing in leads. So that's one other way we, we may potentially go, go, go down once we have more users. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer, and especially I believe your escrow uh, uh, feature is a benefit for uh, anybody who is interacting on your platform because that gives me a sense of security that uh, I'll be making payments only when the job is complete. So I don't have to uh, I don't have the hassle of uh, negotiating with whoever I'm dealing with. So uh, that's that's a very good protection against uh, people taking business outside the platform. Great answer, uh, Ian. Uh, so uh, moving on in terms of you know, uh, your next step, so what are your plans? How do you want to grow your uh, business? What are the key metrics that you will be looking at in the uh, next few months and years to know that you're successful, how well you're doing? Right, yes. Yeah. So the key metrics we'll be looking at moving moving forward for the next couple of years are not just how many people are getting on Peer Hustle, but how many people are staying, how many jobs they're hiring people, so how often they interact with the app. So are they mm-hmm. hiring somebody on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, right? So since we aren't really your typical consumer app, we aren't really going to have the highest engagement. So we aren't going to be like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram where people are on it every single day. Right, mm-hmm. so with with jobs, marketplaces or, or apps, right? People usually hire somebody. Well, if it's a freelancer, usually maybe at the most once a week, mm-hmm. or maybe a good good idea would be maybe somebody who's using a platform once a month or more. Mm-hmm. So those are metrics we're trying to kind of target going towards, right? Then also, just how many people sign up for the app, but also how many, how many people actually promote or share the app to others, right? So going back to the whole viral coefficient of the app, right? So is the app growing naturally and organically? Mm-hmm. Great. In, in terms of funding this growth, I, I'm assuming currently you're self-funded. Are you planning to go to VCs? What's your plan? Uh, so right now, it's been purely self-financed. It's been my savings, some credit cards here and there. I've put in about 70 grand of my own money into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought about I've, I've spoken with some friends and family in terms of them wanting to kind of get into it. And I've also thought about potentially getting uh, outside investors into it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like right now I, I want to have the traction, mm-hmm. right? So I want to make sure everything is is fine-tuned and working 
with, with almost no flaws to a point where it's just a matter of adding gasoline on the fire. Mm-hmm. And then I've also thought about not getting funding at all, right? So I've kind of looked up to people like uh, Craig, uh, Newmarker of uh, Craigslist, right? Mm-hmm. But the entire business with no, fu- no, no, no funding. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if Pure Hustle takes off, it could reach a point where it finances itself. So those are different ways I've kind of been weighing the the options. That's that's a great answer, and uh, it's very rare uh, to see entrepreneurs nowadays who who want to go it on their own, uh, have their skin in the game, and I I wish you the best uh, for your business and uh, for your future as well. So thank you, <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you very much for sharing the details about your business model. It it was very useful for me and I hope my audience also found it useful. So Ian, you have been a hustler all your life as you described at the start of the show. So I want to know uh, what is what is that you enjoy the most as an entrepreneur and what is the least favorite part? What I enjoy the most is being able to get my idea and manifest that into re- into reality. All right? mm-hmm. So going from being in my basement just thinking of ideas on a, on a piece of paper to where I'm at a bar and I'm, ha- I'm having somebody download my app, right? <laughs> so just that entire process, right? Because it's like, hey, that's my app, right? That's my idea. It's real now. It's tangible. So that's the part I, I like the most about being an entrepreneur. In terms of what I don't, what I don't like the most, um, I would say trying to convince convince people mm-hmm. that this is the next best thing right because mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as an entrepreneur you mm-hmm. feel like why don't you get it right like this is mm-hmm. this is hot cakes right this is like the next big thing mm-hmm. you know like the, the train is boarding hop in right now don't miss the train mm-hmm. right so i guess try i mean but but it's one of those things that it forces you as an entrepreneur to kind of get more creative in how you have to explain to things mm-hmm. explain things right so whether it's pitching the idea to different audiences different markets different niches right mm-hmm. so i would say that awesome yeah thank you so ian i know that every entrepreneur has a lot of mentors um a lot of people who support him uh, or her and encourage throughout their life and throughout their journey so if you had to name uh, one person in your life who has been a source of inspiration for you and a source of strength who it is and why Wow. Okay. In terms of uh, inspiration and social strength, I would say it's more than one for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can you can you can. I mean, so tell us a couple of folks. It doesn't have to be one. In terms of just helping me like achieve my goals, it's actually a mentor. Not really a mentor, but I would say online mentor. Mm-hmm. So I watched lots of videos of uh, Eric Thomas, the hip hop preacher. Mm-hmm. He's a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. So he helped me. He helped me get through graduate school. You know, mm-hmm. so it came to a point where the classes were really difficult. I wasn't sure whether I would uh, keep my scholarship or even graduate. Mm-hmm. But he helped me survive. He helped me kind of help me soldier on. Mm-hmm. Then uh, just in terms of business, I've read a. Uh, Lots of books on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. but more specifically the one on uh, Investor's Quadrant. Mm-hmm. I would say that book has heavily influenced me in terms of how I view myself as an entrepreneur and investor. 
Awesome. Actually, that was my next question. You already answered it. I was I was planning to ask you what is one book that you yeah. would say has deeply impacted you, and uh, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great book. I believe it introduced many people to a business mindset. So great answer, Ian. So it it has been wonderful talking to you. Obviously, like you know, as I told you before the show. Uh, we have a lot of topics that we both are interested in and we can talk forever but in the interest of the time um i'll conclude with this one last question for you ian if you had to travel back in time and if you if you had to advise your former self what would that be what would you advise yourself oh that's actually a pretty great great question because i'm actually writing a book just on that topic itself Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm writing a book where I go back and give advice to to, to the old me as a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Advice on how to go through high school, college, find your job, be mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, be a hustler. And if I could go back, I would say the number one thing that's really helped me the most is conquer your fears. Mm-hmm. Like people have people, I would say the number one thing that causes people not to achieve their goals are their fears. Mm-hmm. So conquer your self talk. your fears the way you talk to yourself your mental communication right so going back to books one of the best books i've read on just inner dialogue and the way you talk to yourself is psychocybernetics mm-hmm. which is which is which is a book that helps you retrain the way you talk to yourself mm-hmm. so i would say that that's definitely the biggest thing i think people should focus on is conquer their fears awesome so have you decided the title for your book already Ah uh, yes yeah it's a working title right uh-huh. right now it's called the diary of a made man aha uh-huh. okay any means necessary <laughs> <laughs> so uh when are you planning to release that book uh, i'm not sure right now i'm i'm done with about half of the book mm-hmm. i'm done done with part 1 then i have part 2 part 1 is more like my story mm-hmm. so from childhood to high school college graduate school working in in the corporate world being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. then the other part is more like a how to manual Awesome. Uh Ian, I'll be looking forward to the book. Please let us know once you uh decide to publish the book. I'm sure we will all benefit more by reading your book as well and we already have enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so It's much. It's been a pleasure as well. So yeah. glad to be on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time on a Sunday and talking to me. I know you're busy, you're traveling. We wish you the best for your business and all your endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Bits Business podcast at www.bitsbusiness.com. bitsbusiness.com.